everybody. Welcome to this episode of You Are Good. I am one of your hosts, Alex Steed. I will soon be joined by my fantastic co-host, Sarah Marshall. I've got a couple other things to tell you about first. Uh, one being that You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies, is made possible by you. Thank you so much to everyone who supports us on Patreon, patreon.com slash you are good. Our most recent Patreon episodes about center stage. Our newest Patreon episode will be coming out shortly. It's about grief. I lost my stepfather recently. I look forward to sharing that with you on Patreon at patreon.com slash you are good. You get bonus episodes and you help us make the show. If you're like, wow, this is a great show where it's free and I get to listen and you have a couple bucks that you can throw behind it. We very much appreciate it. If you're not able to do that, Totally understood. We're just glad you're here. You Are Good is also made possible with support by Knack Factory, K-N-A-C-K Factory, which is a commercial and creative video content production company with offices in Portland, Maine and Nashville, Tennessee, though they do work throughout the here United States. If you need that sort of work done, get in touch with the fine folks at Knack Factory. Don't forget that we make playlists for each of these episodes. The playlists are inspired by the movies. They're inspired by the conversations. And I don't know. I think people like them. So you can find that linked in the show notes. A couple quick things about this episode. One, I screwed up my recording for the first 20 minutes of this conversation. So you won't hear me for a couple of minutes. We, we do a like modified intro. I'll pop up somewhere uh, in the conversation when I finally figured out that my uh, recorder wasn't recording. It'll be fine. It works out in the end. It comes out in the wash, as they say. But because we might miss the introduction of uh, Diane Anderson, I just want to say author of In Transit and Exploration of Non-Binary Identity out July 2022. Non-binary queer, they, them, cat parrot. Love Diana had the best friggin' time talking about this heavy, heavy movie and this heavy, heavy subject matter. And just to put this into context, you should know that Green Room is a 2015 American horror thriller film written and directed by Jeremy Saulnier. Saulnier or Saulnier? I'm sorry, Jeremy, if I'm pronouncing it wrong, so I'll just pronounce it both ways. It stars Anton Yelkin, or Anton Yelchin, Joe Cole, Imogen Poots, and Patrick Stewart. The film focuses on a punk band who find themselves attacked by neo-Nazi skinheads after witnessing a murder at a remote club in the Pacific Northwest. I love this movie so much. I already loved this movie. And it's about people who are trying to do the right thing, who find themselves trapped in a building with Nazis. And that just feels increasingly more resonant by the day. You know, that's not new for a lot of people. This has uh, been the experience every day that they are in this country. And that it feels increasingly the case for more and more people are feeling it. And that's what we dive into here while talking about one hell of a horror movie. So big cathartic chat about Green Room. That's all the intro you need from me. I appreciate you. You are good, my friend. I'm really glad that you're here. We can't believe we get to do this. And we get to do it because of you. So thanks for that. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed. We're talking about Green Room today. We're talking about killing Nazis. (laughs) (laughs) What stuck out to you in this conversation? I mean, this is like many of the episodes we've done in since we've been a show this is um three people reacting in real time to some horrible 
political news and it really has that vibe. <laughs> Obviously, the writing is on the wall in a lot of different ways all the time, every day in a bonkers way. But this this one in particular felt like it felt like conversations I remember happening like immediately after 9-11. Yeah. Or also a little bit like our I feel like we did some episodes around the election and also January 6th that were like that were time capsules in this way. We'll talk about what this is about in the episode, but specifically recorded this the day after there was a leak of a SCOTUS majority opinion pledging to overturn Roe v. Wade and a lot of other stuff. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> I feel as if the the situation with abortion has been incredibly dire for as long as I've been politically conscious and that abortion is essentially inaccessible either geographically or financially or logistically or all of the above for a tremendous number of people. So the Pollyanna in me is like now that like the writing is on the wall, can people who were not paying attention pay attention? Like now, now can this emergency feel like an emergency mm -hmm. to the people with the fire hose or whatever? But yeah, it's fucking scary. And I think that lack of abortion access is also fundamentally about dehumanizing people who need abortions or who could need them. And I think that that is, um, to me, that connects with the stuck in a house with Nazis theme. Yes, this is a, a movie about our moment in uh, ways small and large. And we are joined in this episode by Diane Anderson, who has a book coming out. I feel like it was great company for this particular conversation. And so we're going to pick up because I screwed up my audio a little bit. We're going to pick up in the middle of you uh, giving the description of what this movie is and what it's like. And you'll hear Diana, you'll eventually hear from me. And we're going to talk about movies about killing Nazis. Mm -hmm. This is a horror movie. This is one of the most effective and brutal horror movies I've ever seen. And one of the greatest pieces of feedback we ever get is like people who don't normally touch horror movies feel comfortable hearing you talk about horror, horror movies. So you'll very much get that from this episode. Yeah. And it's a, and it's the thing I'm always asking for, which is a horror movie that says, what if you had some people and then the people were the horror and you didn't need anyone to be a demon or for there to be any kind of extra human intervention. It's just some people and the physical realities of trying to get past them. Well, let's get into you talking about what Green Room is about and then we'll uh, talk about what it's about about. Let's do it. Okay. Green Room is about a punk band called the Ain't Rights, played by four kids, each more adorable than the last. They are, I believe, Reese, Tiger, Sam, and Pat. And Sam is played by Aaliyah Shawkat, who we get the Janet Lee effect from. You're like, oh, it's the most famous person here by far, aside from surprise other famous person. So, and then... Anton Yelchin, or Yelkin? Yelchin? Yelkin, I think. Yelkin. Yep. Okay, playing Pat, which I love that we have a main character named Pat. You literally never see that. And maybe he's based on Pat. Maybe that's an homage to Pat Garrett, but also probably not. And so they are a touring punk band on the road. We see them wake up in a cornfield after 
one of them apparently like just dozed off while driving and sort of gently plowed into some corn. This whole movie is like beautifully green and it's one of the rare movies set and actually shot in Oregon, which is fantastic because normally Oregon is being played by, you know, British Columbia or more recently Georgia, bizarrely. And so they are going to play a show in obviously Astoria and the show is canceled and the guy from the venue is like, oh, but hey, my cousin works at a venue also in rural Oregon, where nothing weird ever happens. So you could go play there. So they get to the bar. They're like, oh, this is a fucking Nazi bar. That's wow. Okay. And they're opening for, uh, I forget the terminology, but what is it? National Socialist Black Metal Band. Yes. (laughs) It's an acronym that like, it looks like it's going to be sexy. It's got B and M in there right next to each other and an S. A B and M and an S, and they're all close to each other. You're like, oh, that could be good. It's not. It's bad. I mean, one funny thing about this movie, as we've already been saying, is that it came out in 2014. And it's like, oh, you know, there are like enclaves of Nazis in this country. Like, lest you forget, there are just like fucking Nazis running around. Mm -hmm. And I I do want to talk about why that was evident in punk communities before it was in a lot of other ones. So they get to the club. They're like, okay, well, I guess we are going to play this gig because we're kind of fucked if we don't financially. And so what's the name of the song they play? Nazi punks fuck off by the dead Kennedys. (laughs) Yes, which is fantastic. And um, I had never heard this before seeing this movie for the first time. So they play their gig. They're like about to go. Everything's cushy. And then... Aaliyah Shawkat is like, oh, I forgot my phone. And so Pat, being very nice, goes back to the green room to get it. And what should he see? But one of the two girls who were looking like they were in some kind of a frictiony situation and were being kind of like led away from the crowd during the show that he noticed earlier. What should he see? But one of them dead. With a knife in her head, which that's probably not self-inflicted. It probably wasn't a suicide. And so he runs out and tries to call the police and the Nazis take them hostage. And essentially the rest of the movie is permutations of them trying to escape being held hostage by Nazis who are going to kill them. So first they're in a standoff. And then we have probably the scene people talk about when they talk about that scene in the movie where they are in a standoff with the Nazi leader, Patrick Stewart, (laughs) a guy named Darcy. Is that a complicated feeling, Diana? It is because he leans into the villain role so well. Yeah. It's like when I first saw American Psycho and then I tried to watch Newsies right after and it just felt wrong (laughs) yeah oh boy this is like not to get too immediate whatever i'm just gonna do it anyway i was talking to my mom yesterday about the supreme court leak and she was upset we're both upset but like what was interesting to me is that she was saying part of why she's upset was because the republicans and the evangelicals didn't even care about this until recently and was saying that like they're acting in bad faith by like pretending to care. And I was like, I know that this is like a relatively recent phenomenon for this to be such a dichotomy 
in this country because in the 1970s we had pro-choice Republicans. So like things have changed dramatically and I think it is being used as a wedge issue and very cynically. But also like these Republican lawmakers aren't all secretly pro-choice. Like I think most of them would happily pay for an abortion for a mistress in a hot second. But they're also not sitting around being like, wow, I'm really pretending to like want to oppress women or anyone with a uterus by drafting legislation that is counter to all known science and everything we know about society works and what's good for babies and what's good for citizens. Like they're not actually secretly having better ideas and pretending to be this stupid and evil. Like they are, but they would be focused on something else if it wasn't so advantageous. Like I agree with that. So I feel like it's like similar with Patrick Stewart. Like it's Mm -hmm. not like he's like pretending to be a Nazi because it gets him ahead. He's like, sure, I'm a fucking Nazi. But like these kids like really love the Nazi aspect of it. So we're going to play that up so we can make heroin. Yeah. This movie is like a poem, you know, it's like it wasn't going to tell us directly what was going to happen, but all the information is there. Yes. Yes. And we've also seen Patrick Stewart's underboss. So like Anton Yelkin, when he called the cops, was able to say there's been a stabbing before he got cut off. And so Patrick Stewart's underboss pays a kid to stab another kid. So when the police come, they can be like, here's the stabbing. So we're like, okay, this is all, yeah, these people do not give a fuck, obviously. And so we end up having a standoff with Patrick Stewart, where Patrick Stewart is like, throw me the whip. And Anton Yelkin is like, throw me the idol. (laughs) So he's like, I'll give you the gun if we can keep the bullets, which like doesn't seem like an amazing plan. One of the things I love about Anton slash Pat is that like he's just a regular person who's like thrown into a commando situation. And... The second before the deal is about to go down, Amber, who is the friend of the girl who got stabbed, who has been kind of thrown in with the band and who is, you know, like a a Nazi mall, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's unclear, like, how much she really wanted to leave the life, if at all. So that's interesting, too, that she's, she's just with us for the rest of the movie. And so she's looking through the vent and she realizes that it's a trap and there's a bunch of guys out there and they're going to kill them. And she's like, retract. But they have his arm. And so we see him in pain, Pat. And then we see him pull his arm in. And it's just like, it's so fucked up, you guys. It's like section endorphiny. It's so upsetting, the reveal, because we're like watching him see it for the first time because... You know, he's not been able to see what's going on. And like, yeah, his hand is like kind of barely hanging on. It's like I would like some additional description of this hand situation. It's gross. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure the weapon used was a machete at that point because that's yeah it has that look to it it shows up again later as well mm-hmm. and it looks like it's cuts all across his arm you can see bone the special effects are very grisly and very well done or is it practical effects there i'm not sure i remember just like seeing it for the first time and it being so disorienting mm-hmm. because what the movie does really well it hints at so many things very well and it really lets you fill in the blank mm-hmm. like right down to when the band first stays at the promoter's house we see the singer put a record on and he like touches the needle to the record and you just hear like 
a half a second of the song and then you see the end you see it sort of like hit the end of the record player and you know it's like you don't need to like watch them listen to punk to know that they're punks like they do all these things where they like nod to stuff in a way where it's like okay now you fill in the blanks and I think that that's it's really interesting. I don't know if it was set up this way intentionally, but it's like a, re- a really interesting series of training wheels for when you get to this moment where then you see the arm and like you see it in these glimmers. You sometimes see it head on for like a second or two. And it's so gnarly and so convincing. And I always thought that it looked like someone put like, this is not what happened, but like, it looks like someone wrapped his arm in razor wire and then tried to pull the wire off like a top. Like, it's like, it just ribbons his arm. And again, because it's done in these like flickers, you are really put in the unfortunate position of having to like reverse engineer what happened. And it's much more intense than if you had to watch it happen i feel like Mm -hmm. (laughs) right it forces you to think about the act of injury and it forces your brain to spend time on it whereas if you're just being shown it we were kelsey and i were just talking about this with the blair witch project which we did a bonus episode about for you're wrong about and about how like you just never see anything and Mm -hmm. chelsea was saying like the coffin rock sequence which is so memorable where we just this is like part of the documentary the students are making where you know these men had gone out in a search party for this missing little girl and they were found on top of coffin rock all disemboweled with each man's hand bound to the other man's feet to make a circle (laughs) and chelsea was saying like if they made that movie today they would have flashbacks to that or something we would or if they had budget like the studio would be like well obviously we got to see these guys at coffin rock and it's just like someone reading a description of this from purportedly this old book and showing you footage of a rock and it's extremely scary because you are the one who is like putting in the energy thinking about it i think that that observation is largely if not almost 100 percent true but it's worth saying Mm -hmm. that this is like one of a24's first titles that people started to notice Hmm. and a24 i think gets some because it's been around long enough now where like an a24 movie is not necessarily novel but like when they first started to come out it was like oh like these filmmakers are making less conventional decisions about like what we're seeing and we're returning to things like we loved in the blair witch project by way of like you know suggestion Mm -hmm. and style and like things that right now now i think people probably take for granted like we live in such a new horror golden age that i almost forgot what the you know 20 year 30 year dearth looked yeah. like beforehand <laughs> even though i'm wearing right now a t-shirt that says i love 90s horror ah uh, well there was a lot of great stuff and then in the rearview mirror you feel a lot more fondly towards it especially when you have more options now but yeah i think horror is a genre that like the diversification of media platforms has been extremely kind to and like it's it's always done well with like just give me a little bit of money and i'll make you a little bit more and that's the deal (laughs) and this movie actually made less money than it cost to make and didn't do that well when it came out which is shocking to me and the cynical side of me thinks that a movie about killing nazis probably didn't get promoted enough ironically given how inflated inglorious bastards was at the time (laughs) yeah weird yeah this would have been just a few years after inglorious bastards but it wasn't it was a newish director who 
had only done one one other movie beforehand, I think, before this. So I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we'll get into to what we think about quality, but I mean I, I like this more than a glorious bastards, I'll put it that way. Okay. So Pat gets his arm all fucked up. They're like, right, okay, let's like find another way out, I guess. So they break down through the floor into a basement drug lab where that's where they figure out that's going on. They go through the floor, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then meanwhile, we're seeing that Patrick Stewart is like, Roy, let's cover this crime up and poison all the Nazi band members with poisoned heroin, bad heroin, and just take care of this whole thing. And we learned that they have attack dogs as well. And... There's just like a whole like fucked up family hierarchy here that like, you know, that to write this, like they had to know a lot about who these people are and what their relationships are to each other. And you're just seeing kind of like slivers of that as well. This is a great sliver movie. And so, God, it's hard for me to recall the breakdown in a walkthrough. Diana, do you want to tell us? Reese, one of the band members, sort of freaks out and is like, I'm going to make a run for it. And so they all just sort of arm up with what they have available. And when they open the door, there's nobody there. And they don't know what, really what's going on, but that's when the dogs get released. And they, at that point, Tiger mm. and then Amber, Imogen Poots's character, gets attacked. And that's when they discover mm. that feedback scares the dogs off. So they put the microphone on the speaker to give feedback, scare the dogs off, and then regroup back in the green room and try another assault. Mm -hmm. And it goes from there where they try several times with like one of them dying each time until it's down to just Pat and Amber. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In a dream team scenario. Yes. <laughs> yes. A like very dominant Nazi girlfriend type. And, <laughs> and Pat. And Pat. <laughs> but that's also when we get the reveal that the entire reason that the first girl got killed, the prompting murder, was because she was going to try to escape the cult with her boyfriend. And I use the word cult there very deliberately because this is very cult-like in how they behave and how they treat each other and stuff and the way that they have to escape basically under cover of darkness. Yeah. Like if you know that they have secrets just by being in proximity, yeah. that we see these yep. people devote a lot of energy to making sure don't get out. <laughs> Anytime you're in a forest compound, you know, with a charismatic leader, there's some correlation. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. And then we have our final standoff. And Pat tells a story about the time the band did paintball. I love it. And they had to play against these like weekend warrior like paintball guys who took it incredibly seriously. And how their friend just went essentially Red Ross, if you know that phenomenon from Friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, we got to do this like paintball. Like we're not going to win by like having skills or being the strongest or anything. We're going to win by like going completely apeshit on these guys. Me with my falling off hand. I also like that Pat is someone who appears to have like negative knowledge of how to handle guns before this, which is the situation I and a lot of people would be in. Like, it's like very cute for me to identify with people who are like, shh, shh, but like, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not Ripley. I'm Pat. 
Which is even like commented upon by Imogen Poot's character at some point where they yeah. talk about like the finite amount of bullets that he has. Yes. And she's yeah. like, well, I've, I've seen you try to pump a shotgun. Yes. <laughs> also, he's got one working hand. So like, yeah. Oh, he, God. And yeah. it's just straight yeah. fire agony in the other <laughs> arm, I imagine. Which, by the way, we haven't covered is sealed by duct tape. Yes. Like they duct tape his arm back yes. together because is Tiger <sighs> the singer? Yes. Tiger seems like the dimmest bulb of the group uh, notices some duct tape and is like, that'll help my good friend Pat. And he brings it upstairs and tapes his arm together. It's a really sweet friendship moment. I mean, it's like probably the most you can do with the available stuff. And yeah, and I should say that one of my favorite subgenres of horror is or really like in anything but it comes up most in horrors or and in westerns is where someone is like grievously injured and has to like keep soldiering on and like wrap their arm up in duct tape or something and just keep killing nazis and (laughs) it's just the best i don't know why i like it so much there's like a whole bunch of stuff to unpack there but we like what we like horror is therapeutic and um Yes, love the duct tape, love it all. And so, yeah, they have their final standoff and basically trick these dim bulb Nazis. And I'm going to mangle this. So, Diana, again, I'm, I'm throwing it to you. They decide that with three of the band members killed by the dogs and stuff, that's enough to like set the fake crime scene that, oh, they had stumbled onto a spot where they weren't supposed to be and got attacked by these dogs. Blame the dogs. That's an explanation for the police. And so they send in two of the lower level Nazis to just take care of who's left. And these Nazis get surprised by Pat, who has like camouflage makeup all over his face. He's just drawn on it with a permanent marker and shaved his head. And he is just being totally bonkers he is running around with a machete and stuff and they walk in and they're like what the fuck they say like who is this and he goes odin himself (laughs) and then (laughs) jumps down into the drug lab which lures the other nazis in and they are able to then defeat those two nazis by basically confusing them and getting them to use up their bullets until the point when they can kill them yeah and in another world this scene would be set in to Inagata de Vida it just has that vibe to it yeah totally exactly (laughs) it is that scene from Manhunter and it's also Martin Sheen coming out of the water in Apocalypse Now I've never seen Apocalypse Now we need to watch that sometime oh wow it's I can't wait till we watch it together we'll have to be physically in the same place Sarah I'm really sorry but we have to we will plan that yeah that'll be a whole thing yeah but it's like down to his makeup when he emerges, oh. like it is Martin Sheen in Apocalypse yeah. Now. It's really great, but it's so funny because it's millennial Apocalypse Now, which is you're stuck in a Nazi house yes. and you're a skinny boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not Martin Sheen. <laughs> you're, you're skinny, skinny white, white boy, boy and Marlon Brando is <laughs> Patrick Stewart as a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, I love that like Pat's I don't think he normally talks like this at all. I've never heard him speak this way in another role. But for this, Anton Yelkin sounds exactly to me like Michael Rooker in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. (gasps) Oh, wow. That's great. Right? Doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because also gets the sound of somebody who's like been singing punk songs all night, I guess. (laughs) Pat and Amber head out and then... 
they decide to go back for different reasons. And so then they turn up and have a final standoff with Patrick Stewart and the other Nazis and kill them. They kill them all. They kill them all. And Pat's like, I thought we were here to alter the crime scene. And Amber's like, no, nope, <laughs> let's kill them. And then our closing beat, and they've been talking, the band has been talking since the beginning of the movie about what would your desert island band be? Also, we've been cutting for the last probably 10, 15 minutes of the movie to one of the attack dogs on the loose dragging its chain, you know, looking like some kind of juggernaut that's going to like, you know, come into play in the finale. And so the final beat is Pat and Amber sitting like exhausted by the side of the road and Durfin starting to wear off, probably starting to notice the feeling in the arm. And then the dog just turning up and then drawing their guns at the dog ready for it to attack and then the dog just goes and lays down by the nazi it loved presumably and then pat is like i finally thought of it my desert island band and amber says tell somebody who gives a shit (laughs) the end and it's like such a wonderful closing beat like the song that kicks in Somebody can say what it is. I don't know what it is. It's fantastic, though. I don't know what it is. I figured it was his Desert Island pick. Yeah, it's Sinister Purpose by CCR. Mm. Oh, it is a CCR song. That's great. I love the mirror to that, which I would like argue like Imogen Poots is basically like Nazi Margot Tenenbaum in this movie. (laughs) And she, when they're yelling out their Desert Island picks, because they're yelling out their real Desert Island picks because they had their like poser punk Desert Island picks earlier. Mm. And they're they're yelling them because shit's about to go down in an absolute be still my heart moment is when Imogen Poots is like Madonna and Slayer. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, same. (laughs) all right why are we talking about this movie what hit you (laughs) this go around (laughs) this movie is great for talking about how ordinary people are called upon to meet extraordinary circumstances Mm. and that's a theme in a lot of saulnier's work the director and writer but it's also like not everybody will be able to meet those circumstances. Like most of us will die in a zombie apocalypse, like sort of thing, or in this kind of situation. And it's this idea of you are this normal person who is just trying to live your life and then you meet this unspeakable evil. And I think that's part of what horror movies do in a lot of ways is they put these normal humans into these extraordinary circumstances. And part of the fear for the audience is imagining, oh, crap, what would I do? Like, I would die instantly Mm -hmm. sort of thing in those circumstances. So it's not like the action movie version would be like The Rock and he's the or the Liam Neeson who has the very special set of skills and is able to kill all the Nazis by himself. But here it's like, yeah, no, these are normal people who are idealistic punks who are meeting what fascism really Mm. is, which is an evil force that does Mm -hmm. not care about you. You are just in the way and you have to figure out either how to defeat it or recognize that you are going to be killed by it. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's a big part of this moment with rising fascism around the world and stuff like, how do we meet this moment? Fascism doesn't play by any of our rules. Right. No one in the middle of this situation was like, if we just vote in November, yeah. we're going to get out. OK. Oh it's like, no, you have to put a bullet 
metaphorically, metaphorically in Patrick Stewart's head. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a moment where Pat like makes his first kill where he gets a machete and slams it into this guy's neck and is like, holy crap, I just killed a person, mm-hmm. but they were going to kill me. And it's this very much, you know, he's not quite comfortable with it, but he realizes that's the way it has to be in order to get through. And that to me is really interesting. I think it's really interesting to me to see like ordinary people be confronted with what really matters in those moments. I saw that in such a big way in Amber's first kill, where they're in this standoff in the room. There's the bad guys outside. What's the tough guy band member's name? Reese. Reese. He's choking out this like bodyguard who's there, or this guy who's sort of negotiating the situation, not really negotiating the situation, but he had them hostage in the room. He comes back awake and then he has to like re-choke him out because this guy's like a wrestler. It's a beautiful scene because it's like he's basically doing maintenance to make sure that they don't get hurt right now. And you can see her very slowly come to the realization that she just, he has to be killed. Yeah. And she just (laughs) opens him up with a box cutter, which is so much, but it's like, it's when that goes from like, maybe we can talk ourselves out of this situation or like, maybe if we outmaneuver ourselves in this room or like we find the right place. And it's like, we are not there. We are going to die in this building. We have to make decisions. Mm -hmm. And that's the moment where they all realize we have to get out. We have to arm ourselves and just try. That moment is very fascinating because she sort of has this look of like, I'm doing this, but I'm not really doing this. It's mm-hmm. sort of this outer body. You can see her almost dissociate while she's doing that because she's like, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> this movie is really a lot like John Carpenter's The Thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Say more about that. <laughs> well, I mean, so we talked about this movie at the start of the year with Brad. And one of the things I remember him talking about that this reminded me of is just that, like, this is a movie about, like, how would you behave in a certain death situation, right? Where you have to be like, you know what? Like, none of us are going to get out of here. So, like, what decisions do we make to try and, you know, stop the situation where it is now basically without letting it get bigger and take over the world Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is like not the stated stakes here but like yeah i mean i feel like this falls comfortably into the genre of space western right because you're like stuck Mm -hmm. in a very remote location with like a force kind of just far beyond anything you ever imagined confronting essentially yeah, definitely. Also Alien. Yes. Not that different from Alien. Yes. It feels a lot like Alien. Yeah. It does. They're, they're stuck on the ship. Yeah. And it's not going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it feels like uh, it feels like America. Like, this at the end of the day, it's feeling very similar. Yeah. But I also think in contrast, the evil here is much more human. It's a banal evil. One of my favorite moments is when Patrick Stewart is telling everyone who's in the club that they have to leave. And he says, assume the racial advocacy workshop on Wednesday is on unless you hear otherwise. Yes. It's like a church announcement, like just this normal thing. Yeah. And it's so human in a lot of ways, in a way that other horror movies aren't. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's always like some sort of extraterrestrial or spiritual force rather than 
this is just a human guy. Yeah. And also, like, how many of these, like, Nazi meetings are they having casserole at? You know, probably not none. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's two, two hours of free drinks if you come back to the rescheduled show. All the, like, crowd management pieces, like, all of the things where, like, this guy's a community leader. Yep. It's beautiful. Another movie this reminds me of, although I think people like it a lot more than I do, is uh, Kevin Smith's Red State. I forget the name of the man who is the head of the church in that one, but it's a comparable performance to this and comparably scary in that it's like, this person's not a monster. This person is just speaking to passions and that's terrifying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Again, 2014. 2014. <laughs> How were they to know? And yet they knew. <laughs> Sarah, this is significant. It's in Oregon. It is. Mm -hmm. What speaks to the Oregonian in you? I mean, I just think Oregon is a place where historically there seem to have always been quite a lot of Nazis. And I really like that this depicts to me the reality of like, you know, you're traveling around and you show up in a rural enclave and it could be like people really into Reiki and it could be mm -hmm. like some nice artists and it could be, you know, some people really into mycology and it could be some fucking Nazis, <laughs> you know, there's just like pockets of Nazis around. And that's just like a very real horror, you know, I guess generally I love that as a horror premise, it's just all about the human as I bring up all the time. Nothing loses me faster than a movie being like it was demons and just the fact that this is 100% non-supernatural horror makes me so happy. I don't know how significant it was in the making of the movie, but I also like that the setup here is a lot like Breaking Bad as well. Hmm. This was around, I think, probably the final season of Breaking Bad, if hmm. not the same year. Yeah. yeah. And Breaking Bad has that issue that a lot of, you know, we talk about this probably like every fifth show, but has that issue that a lot of anti-hero shows have, which is, you know, is the anti-hero actually the hero, even though they do heinous things, according to sort of like people who obsess over the title. And this movie is just like, no, 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 no. No, there's no ambiguity. The Nazis that sell drugs and kill people are bad. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't have to wonder if it would be cool to be Walter White for a minute. It wouldn't be. You'd be a dick. And the bullet that's coming for you may be justified. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> it's funny. First of all, it's funny to me that 2014 feels long long ago yeah and also that prestige tv for maybe 10 years 15 years like was essentially let's find a fucked up guy and spend many years learning about the fucked up things he does maybe he'll do even like increasingly fucked up stuff as the story goes on maybe he'll just stay like the same amount of fucked up as the story goes on and like flirt with redemption and always disappoint us and like, I know there's still tons of media like that, but like, I remember watching Nurse Jackie and being like, oh, this is interesting. They've attempted a prestige TV show where the fucked up guy is a woman. <laughs> but like, clearly the whole premise has to center on someone who's like, you know, deceiving everybody the whole time in some way. And it really took a while to get out of that model. 
Mm -hmm. This reminds of like, I've been really surprised. I get it. Like, I think like, I don't know if there's like a psychologically appropriate response to anything within our existing moment or any moment ever. But I've been really surprised by like, so there's this guy, Wynn Bruce, who set himself on fire on courtroom steps, I think last week. Mm-hmm. On Earth Day, I think. Yes. As a protest against climate change. Exactly. Practicing Buddhist, this was uh, his approach. And I was really surprised in a way by seeing a bunch of people be like, climate change is bad, but this is not the approach. And so first of all, I was like, I don't imagine there's a bunch of people lining up to set themselves on fire. But second of all, why isn't it? Yeah. Like we are all in one way or another in the green room, right? Like, like, and I think increasingly people are just like, shit, like people in the trans community, women, black and brown people, like everyone who is not white and increasingly people who are white, who have the wrong opinion, like it is a bad scene. Mm -hmm. And eventually everyone, because they're going to die in in a fiery, you know, vortex. With sharks in it. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm not, and so yeah, I'm not advocating Bruce's methodology. I'm not glamorizing suicide, but like I see it. I understand mm-hmm. this person in the room being like, I need to do something. You know, 10,000 appropriate arguments on Twitter aren't going to do anything. Alex, we just need to elect more Democrats so they can continue to ignore us. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I got the fundraising email and I'm probably not going to give the money. It's like it gets to a point and I think increasingly like especially after fuck what, like f- 14 years on Twitter, <laughs> you know, it gets to a point where it's like, yes, let's have a conversation about whatever the thing of the day is. We're still in the room and the dogs are coming. And if the dogs don't get us, the guys with machetes will get us. And mm-hmm. if the guys with machetes don't get us, we're going to be left to like rot in this place. So like we have to do something and there's no clear path to what that something is and so it's like we have to improvise or die and Mm -hmm. that's what i really enjoy and appreciate about this movie is like there aren't like heroes there isn't like a lesson about like if you're this particular way you'll get through the no it's like you have to just do something you'll probably die along the way but at least you won't die rotting in the room yeah the like super nihilistic view that this movie takes is that fascism has the only goal is to survive Mm. and to maintain its authority and it will mow down whoever happens to be around that gets in the way and that for me like as a trans non-binary person that hits hard because there are so many people who just do not care about what happens to my community mm-hmm. because it's not them. And it's this recognition that like, no, it will come mm-hmm. for everybody in the end. All of us are at risk. One thing that's been on my mind with this draft opinion leak, and it was really fascinating to have that happen on Monday and then rewatch <laughs> Green Room on Tuesday, <laughs> is that like Alito's opinion is really scorched earth. It is, this is not just a targeted, we're overturning Roe v. Wade. This is everything. Obergefell, Loving v. Virginia, Griswold, even Lawrence v. Texas about sodomy laws, like all of that is going. And it's this recognition that this is a giant thing that people will not survive. And it's very, very hard. I'm sorry, are we going to give states the ability to outlaw interracial marriage? Probably. 
Yeah, that's one of the things that could be overturned with this precedent. Because Alito's opinion talks about how you have no right to privacy. There's no right to privacy in the Constitution, which is what so many of these other opinions are built on. Because I get all my news from shitposting, I didn't realize that we were also attempting to bulldoze, like, what, a century's worth of legislation? Mm. Yeah. Great. Cool. I'm (laughs) fantastic. I am straight up not having a good time, bro. That's what fascism does. It just steamrolls. God, I mean, I know I'm not the biggest fan of the Supreme Court, but they do have some greatest hits that you can still (laughs) sing along to. They're saying now that they weren't great. Yeah. I have to go. I have to go. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, and to points that I have seen made, it's like, that's about stuff that's coming, but the stuff that's happening now is already enough. Like we're, we're, (laughs) we're like with regard to existing and proposed legislation, particularly with how it will both affect like trans kids and trans communities. It's like the reality is on the ground. It is happening right now. Mm -hmm. It will intensify as it intensifies, right. the net will go out to who it applies to. But right now, the standard and precedent is being enacted on the ground every day. Mm-hmm. And yes, watching this, I mean, I remember <laughs> I remember watching this in the theater and just to your point earlier, Sarah, I was like, themes, man. Like, I get like there are themes like this is talking about how like America really is. And like now I'm just like, fuck, fuck. It's not themes. It's text. It's just text. Yeah. The parallels to how power works and how fascism is implemented in this system, which is there is someone who is profiting on the mechanism that is cloaked by this ideology Mm -hmm. and believing in the ideology helps make the system run smoothly, but it also helps create essentially like a workforce of implementers of that system. Mm -hmm. The way that it works, I mean, it looks exactly like Congress, like it looks exactly like sort of the lobbying power behind the people that make decisions on the part of Congress. And at the end of the day, it is sure it's about the ideology, but at the end of the day, the ideology is about greasing the market desire of this thing, which is like to prevail, to hold power and to make a shitload of money for the people who are in power. Mm -hmm. Like that's Mm -hmm. what this whole model is illustrating so beautifully because we see, you know, they're going to talk about brotherhood. They're going to talk about that. What is the workshop that you mentioned earlier? The racial advocacy. Right. They're going to have that. But all that is, there is some reality to it in that, like, we believe that these are things that these, especially people on the bottom level believe, which is another Mm -hmm. sort of beautiful thing that's being illustrated. But it really, at the end of the day, is meant to make it possible for this man to run this business. Mm -hmm. Right. And I feel like one of the things I love about gangster movies, you know, whenever they devolve into like, we're not so different, you and I. I've got my organized crime. You've got your organized (laughs) politics, you know, and the idea of like, what is legitimate power? And I think that gangster movies that Americans are so obsessed with them, partly because we love recognizing on some level the fact that power protects itself and there is no legitimate power and that the systems that we're living inside of are, you know, wildly corrupt. They're about protecting yourself. They're about ascending as much as you can. And Essentially, you know, I I don't think that white supremacy is a cover for profiteering. They just kind of go hand in hand, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yes. They're totally. natural best friends. Yes. 
Absolutely. I don't mean to keep hammering this about like the action versus rhetoric thing, but like I feel it now Mm -hmm. more than ever is that it's like, you know, these people just simply are not going to tweet their way out of this. (laughs) (laughs) Like the most clever tweet isn't going to get them out of this place. Awareness. Everyone knows these guys are Nazis. You don't need to keep letting people know that they're Nazis. It's like you need to fucking do a thing Mm -hmm. every day beyond voting one day every four years you need to give money you might need to punch somebody you might you like you need to do shit you need to show up and put your body like there's all these things that need to happen because like again like being clever on the internet isn't going to get these fuckers out of this house like nothing's going to get these fuckers out of the house god damn it that's all i know how to do what are you saying (laughs) to me Don't worry, I'm speaking to you, listener, right now. I'm speaking to you as well. <laughs> and also me. But but, aren't, but could they shitpost their way out, though? I thought they could. Have you thought about shitposts? <laughs> well, I think that's actually, like, lampshaded in the movie itself with them playing Nazi punks fuck off yes. at the beginning. And yeah. then, They're like, oh, crap, we actually have to fight Nazis. Like, there's right. one thing, and then there's, holy crap, we have to actually do the thing. Do you remember how in 2016 this was, like, a robust debate? Like, is it okay to punch a Nazi? And yes. now right. I feel like we all know that, like, yeah, and you're probably going to have to as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, totally. And also that person will probably be handled very gently in court and then be given a show on Fox after. Yeah, yes. that's true. <laughs> or Newsmax or whatever the thing. I don't well, know what no, the thing he'll, is. He'll become a cause celeb for having been canceled, which is the new word right. we're applying to a punch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is actually, if I can go into like a local Minneapolis thing, this is a thing that's come up here. We recently had an incident where the Twin Cities area has a very high Jewish population. We have one of the top 10 most attended synagogues in the country. And about four blocks from that synagogue a few weeks ago, somebody spotted an apartment where somebody had their windows open. It was at night, the lights were on, and there was a huge Nazi flag. Unmistakable big swastika. And it became this big controversy because people were like, we can't like just shame this guy. We have to do something to actually get him out. And so the landlord is taking him to court to try and evict him because it's a threat to the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But there were a bunch of other people who were like, I'm just going to go throw a brick through the window. You know, let him know that he's not welcome here. And it's Mm -hmm. very much the reality of we can't really tweet about this and raise awareness, but we have to do something to actually let this Nazi know that this is not okay. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels in some in some way like I don't know, like there's this moment, right, where like the cards are really being shown by a lot of people who used to only like half show the cards or they used to suggest they had cards or they used to cards weren't even necessary. The system just did it by itself and like you didn't whatever. And so like I feel like capitalism is having this really uncomfortable moment where it's like stop showing the cards yeah, because Mm -hmm. if you show the cards then more people are going to know about it and like where the whole game is at risk, right? And so everyone is being put 
I want to be clear, like marginalized communities are always from day one, from the beginning, from the prehistory of Anglo America are always sort of on the front lines mm-hmm. of this. I don't want to su- suggest that this is new for a lot of people. This is the case for a lot of people all the time. But increasingly day by day, more people are like, oh, shit, there's a Nazi living next door. And like, again, I really want to believe that like voting or buying the right shampoo is going to get me out of this situation because I'm a conscious consumer or something. But like, it's not. The systems are not Mm -hmm. designed to deal with it. Actually, it seems like the systems may be designed for that guy. What are we going to do about it? And even the the thing where it's like, you know, can the person be evicted because it's bad for public health or public safety? Then again, like mm-hmm. similarly, capitalism's like, well, if we have people actually consider that ideology could have a body count, we're in trouble too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and so this is such a like dynamic, like the fact that fucking Disney is someone who like for like a minute people left of far right were like thanks for trying to do the right thing i like it's such a confusing ideological moment for everything Mm -hmm. and everyone and the corporations and the nazis and the left like every everything is so confusing to the point where like it feels like again sarah to your point like this moment that we're describing right now should have anagata devita backing it yeah because it just (laughs) it feels like that explains a lot yeah it feels like the manhunter crescendo (laughs) also look nazi puts in gay characters for one second that they can edit out for the chinese and russian markets they're very progressive yes yes Mm There's a lot of gesturing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Here's a question. Like, what can one do short of actually killing an actual Nazi in an actual drug lab, which is accessible for some of us, but not all of us at the minute? Yeah. Yeah, that is the question. I realize that it's like it's somewhere between massacre a bunch of actual Nazis. Although if you're like, you know, stuck being held hostage by them, then that is what you have to do. Somewhere between that and vote for more Democrats. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I think that's important is recognizing that you can only change what's right in front of you, Mm. really. You can only have that effect. Mm. Um, And that's a big part of this movie is that like, Mm -hmm. they're not fighting like Nazis taking over the world. Mm -hmm. They're fighting Nazis who are an immediate threat right in front of them. Mm -hmm. Part of that is just surviving. Even that is a form of resistance, I guess, which is, I don't like that that term, especially with how it's been changed over the past few years. Well, it's been co-opted by Star Wars, which is owned by Disney. And pussy hats. Yes. Yeah. But like... We don't know what happens to Pat and Amber after the movie, and we don't really need to know because like the entire moment that the movie builds to is when in the daylight, Pat is standing there in front of Darcy, Patrick Stewart's character, and says, it's funny, you were Mm -hmm. so scary at night. And like, it's this recognition that like, against all of this, I survived and you're going to run away now. Right. And you're a little old man. Yeah. So I went to, I don't, it wasn't a protest, maybe a demonstration, something, something yesterday in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of great, you know, speakers and, you know, the ones that resonated the most with me that I fully and fundamentally believe were from community leaders and organizers that are in and of the community. Mm -hmm. 
they were just saying like, be in the community, like be a member of the community. And I think like, that's not it. And they were saying they're, you know, it's like, give money to organizations, put your body on the line. Like yeah. yesterday there was a situation with a counter protester and I'm a giant man. So I went over and like put myself in this, like, there are always ways that you can use the privilege, at least in a day-to-day basis. But I just think like one thing that's missing and I, I can't believe I'm giving Robert Putnam a positive nod in our podcast in 2022 is like counteracting the bowling alone thing, I think is probably like really helpful at this moment because there've been so many great developments from the internet and being like, we're all connected. Like you, us three here wouldn't have been here without the internet. This is great. Us talking mm-hmm. about these issues wouldn't have been, mm-hmm. there are so many great things about it, but the fact that we spend so much in this the last two years hasn't helped, but the fact that we spend so much time being like, thought to the internet and not necessarily like who is my neighbor how do i convince people that Mm -hmm. like humanity is an important thing who can i show up for with cash and any sort of like version of the privilege who needs to be punched maybe you know these are the things that like just amplifying this a little bit isn't going to stop the fascism but it's certainly like a first step that feels like is necessary Mm -hmm. My neighbor is a lady named Hillary who will not stop talking to you for a whole hour if you talk to her for one minute. (laughs) So you've tried, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But in a broader sense, who is my neighbor? Yeah. I think like in so much of it is itself like an argument about capitalism is like every social interaction has in one way or another become capitalized or transactional to the point where like Mm. some people would consider like being an active person on next door being a neighbor. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, you're just like fucking feeding the surveillance mechanism, (laughs) the surveillance Mm -hmm. state for someone else's profit. Like you're not a neighbor. You're just like a nosy shithead. Like go out and see who needs help. And like our friends, Mm -hmm. the little women, you know, bring some food to the people who need it maybe i've talked about this before but i the best thing i ever saw in next door was somebody asking for leaves to compost and someone commenting are oak leaves okay and the original poster being like yeah bring them over that's just the best that was the highest peak they'll ever reach are oak leaves okay I didn't realize until this weekend that some people are like radically allergic to oak. Oh, I didn't know that either. That that's like a pretty bad trigger for some people. So that was a very good question. This poster could have been one of those people for one thing. Sort of being like, I brought you this bag of uh, poison ivy if you would like. A- <laughs> <laughs> I brought you this bag of ricin. <laughs> good Breaking Bad reference. Thanks. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think this movie is also doing what to me all good horror does, which is to remind you to be glad to be alive. Mm-hmm. Not in like a hokey, like, you know, like I was t- another like story about my mom is that this was actually in like an old episode of Wiretap. And I think it was being used a little <laughs> bit satirically, but I liked the idea. I've been listening to like episodes of Wiretap from 2004. It's very comforting. The idea is to keep a luck journal and write down like two or three lucky things that happened to you today, mm. which I've been doing. And it turns out I mostly favor the thing I wanted in the store being right by the register when I gave up on finding it. <laughs> it happened to me like three times. Or like the other day I was going to Ikea and I was like, oh, my God, Ikea has soft serve. I'm going to have soft serve after I complete my shopping for storage containers. And then the soft serve area had closed. And I was like, man, I was like emotionally prepared to have ice cream. And now there's no ice cream. 
And then my other neighbor came over with ice cream. So, <laughs> but I was talking to my mom about it, about this concept. And she was like, yeah, like I can say I'm lucky to not be in Ukraine. And I was like, that seems more like shaming yourself than anything. <laughs> and also like it needs to be something that happened today. <laughs> She's like, I'm not there today. <laughs> i could be tomorrow right yeah and like i hate like be grateful to be alive stuff you know the kind of boomer meme aspect of it that's like how dare you be depressed because things could be worse but i love the horror movie aspect of it which is like mm -hmm. watching someone get their arm fucking shredded or like be killed by an attack dog and then like being just in a non-intellectual, a very, to me, this is how this works, a very visceral way, just like, fuck, I'm alive. Ah, ah, you know, in a good way. And mm. yeah, yeah, Diana, I loved what you said about surviving, being an act of resistance or whatever word we can use that hasn't been merged to death in the last <laughs> 10 years. And that it's important for people to remember that. I think I, I have a recurring feeling and I think a lot of people do of like, somehow my suffering is going to like improve the situation for like the climate or whatever which is why i have an entire cabinet of like plastic packaging i've saved that i can do nothing with i have no mm -hmm. plan it's just there taking up space mm -hmm. in my life now not that that's like hindering my ability to keep living but it is ridiculous and yeah i mean self-care is another term that has been sort of capitalized upon and co-opted in a way that we could spend a whole podcast discussing and maybe should one day it would be fun but i think it's it is so important to remember and so easy to forget that like you're in the green room you just are so like you should probably take care of yourself while you're in there hmm. to the points that you made earlier diana about the you don't know what happened to them at the end i think they go to jail like i think <laughs> I think they, or at the very least, it's a long, inexpensive court case. And I know that that's like not necessarily, like that's not necessarily important to the movie, but I think that that's like what leaves a lot of us being like, what do we do? Cause like, I don't want to go to jail. Cause like, it seems like that system's also bad. Mm -hmm. So I, it's, you know, it, it speaks to the like, yes, we're in a survival moment. Yes. Also, we don't necessarily, people don't necessarily want to go to jail. And like, even if you're an idealist and you're like, you gotta do it, you gotta do We're still human beings. Every day is a debate and attention about sort of yep. like what the appropriate compromise between those two things are. And yeah, I like that we don't see what happens to them because like the point is their immediate term survival but like the tension that we're all dealing with in one way or another is it's like well i know that like just voting doesn't work i know something needs to be done i know if you do too much yeah. something this system puts you in jail so what exists do we just have to go to jail these are the interesting mm -hmm. questions that you know i feel like year by year become more relevant as we re-examine green room as one should watch it every year maybe this is a new year's yes. movie to get ready for the upcoming year <laughs> it's kind of an easter movie as well i mean watch it whenever you want yeah but, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah i love it what scene like stuck with you what scene stuck with you the most I, the arm scene obviously but what about this movie sticks with you whenever you think about it for me, it's that it's weird, but it's the the racial advocacy workshop scene because it's just so banal. It is something that it's evil just sort of doing its thing, but also doing it in a way that is recognizable. Like, mm -hmm. come to the workshop on Wednesday. We'll have pizza. You know, that sort of thing. And it's such an important moment for him just doing 
Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. he is planning to murder people in the back of his head and he's still doing this thing. Yeah, he's going to have a little murder workshop and crime scene staging workshop tonight. Yeah, and it's just, it says so much about his character and stuff that he is able to just make this announcement, do the crowd control, and then mm-hmm. go off and order people to die, basically. And that is one of those scenes that is so frightening for just how calm it is. It's the calm before the storm, basically. And I... I really like that moment for some reason Mm -hmm. i like too that like he's doing what at least i was just advocating for on the part of doing the right thing which is he's like he's consciously building a community he's building a weaponized community yeah for his take in a way that like yeah the left used to be very very good at and when you're like oh this guy's doing a good job shit Mm -hmm. Like those kids are going to show up. There probably is a casserole. Kids who are hungry are going to eat and he's going to like wield them as weapons. He's going to have punch and pie. Yeah. Sarah, what stuck out to you? I mean, when I think of this movie, I think I think of the last shot with Pat and Mm -hmm. Amber and also of the scene earlier with them similarly kind of exhausted on the couch in the green room, kind of starting to resolve to like, you know, make another attempt to bust out of there to like not die in there. Yeah, again, like another parallel to the thing where we end with two characters sitting exhausted, Hmm. kind of ideologically in different places and like having had animosity throughout the story, but just sort of there having survived. I don't know why I think of those. I guess that feels like kind of the core of the whole thing somehow. I really like, well, I like two things. One is when Pat first starts to tell the paintball story, And he's in shock a little bit, so it's drawing on a bit. And I think people don't understand the point of the story. And it just, he basically just like tells a long story. The first half of the story is where he and his buddies were just getting annihilated by these people who were better killers than they were. And she says, was that supposed to be a pep talk? And like, I feel like that's all of us all the time right now is like, (laughs) is is this, oh shit, is this a pep talk? And then the other, the other is just like how many you know, I, I agree with the assessment that this is like a culty group at the very least, a cult maybe, but like for what that is, there's so many people who are trying to get out of it and there's nowhere for them to go. Well, that is the thing with cults. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And that's a that's like be, kind of beautifully illustrated. I yeah. feel like in a way much better than if you were to like, hey, here's a movie about a cult. Like usually it like plays to very like base elements or like shocking elements and obviously this movie has a lot of shock but what's so interesting is we see there are a lot of true believers but there's a lot of people trying to figure out like how they get out and that there's the tension around who they can tell what the danger of telling it is and everyone is at sort of like a different point of that and as a result there's a sort of a mass of collective leadership paranoia that heightens the violence because they're trying to make sure that there's no dissent and at some point that could just wipe itself out yeah, and you can't run a cult based on the idea that everyone's going to be super jazzed to be yeah. there the entire time, <laughs> or, you know, or any group, right? Like, if you want retention, you have to be like, well, people might become disenchanted, but like, they will have nowhere else to go, and I will provide for them, and I'll make it attractive to stay and horrifying to leave. So, yeah, I don't have to worry about numbers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think that's most typified by the Gabe character, mm-hmm. who is the like cleanup crew. At the end, when 
Pat and Amber defeat the two Nazis. They come out and he's just like vacuuming somewhere. <laughs> and he's like, I don't want to die. Like, this uh, is, yeah. I will go with you. Like, whatever. I will go get the police. Like, I am out. Yeah. And he had like just earned his red laces, which was a sign of being like in the in crowd and stuff. And that's one of those things where he realizes the gig is up. That guy whose name I don't know, he's in Salnir's previous movie, Blue Ruin, yes. which is, if you listener have not seen that, that's an absolute delight. It's dark. It's not as brutal as this is, but it's existentially trying. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I like that. To the points that we made earlier where Sarah had been asking about like the relationship between punks and Nazis, like I made zines as a kid and I had two examples of zines when I was a kid. One Tak Toshima, who is the art director of Boston Dig, showed me one at a comic convention when I was 12. And I was like, this is the thing I want to do. And the other was I saw a Nazi zine at a restaurant I worked at when I was 14. I mean, this is the fucked up thing is that I was like, just like casually dismissive of the fact that it was Nazi stuff, because like you just knew as a punk that, that some of the punks were Nazis and like you kind of you stayed in different camps. And I was just like admiring the way it was bound. Like I was like, oh, like mm-hmm. this is a possibility. And so that, I mean, that just shows how around it was like even in the nineties. And there was always like some imagery in punk because it was like post free speech movement stuff. Like this is how I'm going to upset my parents is where, you know, in like upset quote societies to wear a swastika. It was ill-advised. There weren't nuanced conversations happening on, uh, <laughs> Twitter about these things. I I wasn't, I'm not suggesting I was one of these people, but it was around in one way or another. And you always knew that there were skinheads and some of them were great and some of them were leftist. And then there were others who just fucking were racist and like beating the shit out of people. So this was all a roundabout way of saying what I liked also about this movie is like the Nazis aren't all like Raiders of the Lost Ark Nazis. Like some of them are likable. I'd say that guy in the room who is keeping them, who is like, I mean, maybe his name's Jeremy, which is such a funny name. Justin. Justin. Yeah. His name's Justin. Big Justin. Like there's parts where like that guy, just in how he responds to things are re- like resonant. And so they don't make these people like totally alien monsters, which is extremely important to maintaining the horror of the situation. Mm-hmm. Also, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, you had Belloc and the Nazis, who was like a relatively charming kind of French, I guess, guy. <laughs> Is that the accent they were trying for there? <laughs> He'll drink grappa with you and he's in it for the, the treasure, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. That is it. That is that is true. Yeah. 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 And it's like, fuck collaborators, too. Don't forget that you got to explode them also. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And they have a little bit of that conversation with Amber at one point. They're like, how Mm -hmm. did you get involved in this stuff? And she's like, well, let's just say the people who were going to hurt me weren't white. Yeah. She's Liam Neeson. Yeah. Mm. If Liam Neeson didn't uh, turn it around, he could have been Amber in this (laughs) situation. I don't know if Liam Neeson turned it around, but anyway, sorry, Mm -hmm. Liam. I mean, he specifically didn't murder anybody, so. (laughs) Yes. That's something. I do like when they say that, when they're like, how'd you turn it out this way? And she's like, she says that piece and they say like, but like, what about all these white people that are trying to hurt us? (laughs) We're just about to be killed by them. (laughs) Oh my God. All right. I think it's time. Probably. We know Darcy is the father to all yes. of these 
stormtroopers. Who is the daddy? I'm going to say it's the two credited dogs in this movie, Brownie and Grimm, (laughs) who do great work. And I'm sure they're very, very good dogs and would never eat a punk at all. And I love the dog ideology of this movie, which is like the dog only kills because the mean human person told him to. And when the dog is left to its own devices, it just wants to like run and be with its human. Yeah. It's a good dog. Good boy. Girl. Dog. I don't know. Whoever. (laughs) Good brownie. Brownie. (laughs) What is yours? Um, I wrote down Pat. Mm. You get the sense that he's sort of the dad of the band in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways. Like he is very soft-spoken, very quiet, but still has like this leadership thing and people still make fun of him in a lot of ways. He's the first person to fall asleep at the party. So I get this (laughs) sense that he's sort of the dad who doesn't know he's a dad until the kid shows up on his front door and he's like, well, I guess I got to be a dad now Mm. sort of thing is that that's the impression that I get from him. Mm. And I think he sort of takes on this role that's been thrust upon him in a way that is very much taking responsibility and trying to make things work. I love that. To that point, I'm going to say Amber, because when... (laughs) You know, there's a beautiful speech in Breaking Bad by the character Mike about half measures and whole measures. And, you know, the point ultimately be never taking a half measure when the situation requires a whole measure. And, you know, when they show up and he's like, I thought we were altering the crime scene. And she's like, no, we're going to kill these guys. Amber's like, you know what? This is messy and I don't love it, but we got to do it. And she does the dad situation. And she's like, sorry, we just I know you would like this to be simpler than it is, but it is not. And we're going to deal with it. Yes. What it does remind me of is, have you ever seen the fantastic, I don't know who made it, but it was a German movie about the Bader-Meinhof complex, the Bader-Meinhof yeah. gang. It's so good. It's so good. It's so gorgeous. It's about the Red Army faction coming together. And it does such a good job of all the things that we're kind of hedging in our conversations, which is like, I can totally see how these young leftists decided that they needed to accelerate. Totally, it makes sense. Like, they illustrate it beautifully. And then the fact that their gang essentially becomes, over time, like, so obsessed with the ideology and devolves into its own quasi-fascism, like, inner group mm-hmm. fascism. These are, like, all the things that kind of make us hedge and be like, you don't want to sort of go down the wrong... I mean, obviously, the law also, you don't want to go down the wrong road. But, like, the things that make you be like, Tarantino's answer isn't it either. Mm-hmm. You know, because (laughs) then you just create reverse nationalists that just become the nationalists. And that is Mm -hmm. itself a problem. Well, and also what springs to mind for me is that like the classic like white person excuse for shooting an unarmed person of color in the back is like, I was going to die. And it's like, I realize you may have even felt that to be true for some reason, but it wasn't. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, this is the conversation that it obviously was going to be talking about Green Room at this moment. (laughs) Yeah. Or any moment. Yeah. Also, like, film more movies set in Oregon in Oregon. Oregon is like for a while was America's Vancouver. And now that seems to be over. So that's nice. But it's such a nice thing to have the setting and the place be the same thing like that never happens and you're not constantly scanning for like that tree looks weird where's that tree (laughs) (laughs) where's that tree 
This was fantastic. Thank you so much, Dana. I think we found some answers to our national problems. Remind us of the book again and the date and all the stuff. Yes, the book is called In Transit, Being Non-Binary in a World of Dichotomies. Uh, it comes out July 12th, so during Non-Binary Visibility Week. Oh, wow. And you can pre-order it wherever good books are sold. I would encourage you to pre-order from Moon Palace Books here in Minneapolis. Every mm. pre-order is going to be signed from there, so nice. I'm hoping to have to sign hundreds. So <laughs> That's great. Be careful what you wish for. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we'll put the link in the thing. everybody that is it for this week's episode of you are good thank you so much to carolyn kendrick our wonderful producer who makes uh, makes everything sound so good thank you so much for everything you do carolyn you can find carolyn's music etc at carolynkendrick.com thank you of course to diana anderson make sure to check out diana's book linked in the show notes Thank you to Miranda Zickler for editing these episodes, for, uh, you know, making them ready for the ears. We really appreciate everything you do, Miranda. Miranda, turn this around so quickly while on tour. Thank you to Fresh Lash for providing the beats for each of these episodes. Again, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us at Patreon, patreon.com slash you are good. I think that's it for this week's episode. We appreciate you. We're glad that you're here. We're very lucky. You, my friend are good.